0: Welcome to Chronosphere Fiction. This is your Chronosphere pilot and lead producer at is Sound Design, Daniel French. I hope you're as excited as I am and I hope you're wearing headphones or earbuds because this one's good, folks. It is Gafgar the Eternally Unfurnished, Chapter 8, The Snare. Let's just go in.
1: The late afternoon in Ring is an active one. Stores and wheeled streets, stalls, selling crops, clothing, and tools were closing down. Canopies were folded, doors shut, and signs placed up indicating proudly that business was done for the day. Merchants piled wares on wagons or barrows headed back out of the city to storage sheds or warehouses. Some stores remained open, their owners tidying up, busking or yawning over counters. Many blacksmiths and armorers began cooling their fires. But still the sound of hammers on steel rang in many quarters. A flat, wide-brimmed hat bobbed through those streets. The woman underneath watched the activity around her with serene curiosity. Her right arm was braced against her body, held up with a sling made by tying a simple, colorful cloth with zigzagged, striped patterns of green, red, yellow, and black. A withered, limp hand hung from it, just peeking out of a wide sleeve. Her other hand rested on the long, slender hilt of a slim, sheathed blade. Amadi noted the architecture, the wood, thatch, and stone of the buildings around her, and the elegant, if ostentatious erections on the hills above. She found it all boring and unimaginative, from every drab plank to each plain piece of clothing. The only things she admired were the gardens on the hills above, though she thought it unfortunate that such colorful amalgamations of nature be restricted to the estates. Was there no beauty in the commoner's life in the kingdoms? The lack of balance was disturbing. Suddenly, a heavenly scent distracted her from the distaste in her mind, and she followed that old factory boon to a small wooden stall in the street. Little more than a cart with a canopy and stools for sitting, an older man tended to a small stove, boiling water in a simple metal teapot. Another steaming pot sat on a fold-out counter. Amadi sat on a stool, and the man placed an inelegant wooden cup before her. He poured the fragrant liquid into her cup, his thin hands shaking with the tremors of age. Six coppers! Amadi paid him the few measly coppers she carried, tasted the tea, and immediately thought she had misheard his price. It was far too good to cost so little. Sure, it lacked the spice of the tea in Yodoru, but it was heady and smooth— She was glad for its warmth when the sight of the person sitting down next to her shot rivers of ice down her spine. The balance keeps you.
2: Took you long enough to find me.
1: The man tilted his wide-brimmed hat up, revealing a face of sculpted mahogany,
3: and said, Time spent convincing Ordu to let me talk to you before you're hunted and killed. Maybe you could admit it's time well spent.
2: You surprise me again. Here I thought you had chosen a side.
3: Stop this. Change is inevitable. Even the mightiest of stones warp in the rivers of time. Ordu leads the Banai Fandwa on a new path, a righteous one. You know it as truth. In your heart, I know you do.
2: My heart knows only one truth. We tend to peace, protect our people, and lay siege to corruption and evil where it roots in Udoru. In Udoru, Order's war on the world is nothing like what the B'nai Fondwa have come to stand for. We are the defenders of peace, of balance. We are not warmongers.
3: Now we protect it by seeking war. Tell me, what do you see in this lowly city? Fairness and rule? Justice for those who can't exact it themselves? Where is the balance? Amadi thought for a moment watching a pair of
1: sickly-looking hounds cross the street, then nodded.
2: What I see disgusts me, but it does not give us the right. Excuse me?
3: It gives us all the right. You will know this is true when you see the depths of depravity these kingdoms reach. Left alone, the people of these lands will continue to suffer. We introduce the B'nai Fondwa to the kingdoms. We bring them peace, justice, balance.
2: And only at the edge of our blades. Hmm,
3: yes. That's how it's always been. Don't be so naive. The balance of Yodoru is a product of our blades. It is born of them and all the blood they've drawn. Bringing it to the world will require more blood.
2: I'm not naive. It's you and the rest of your traitors that have forgotten our tenets and discipline. Centuries ago, we revolted against a corrupt dynasty that sought to use our strength for war.
3: For their gain at the expense of the B'nai Fandwa and the Yodoru people.
2: And our strength lies in our tenets to never wage war. In
3: the name of another, it says nothing about waging war in the name of the B'nai Fondwa. Um, excuse
2: me? What Ordu wants is power, plain and simple, that runs against everything we are.
3: Kailin swept an arm wide, indicating all around them, and spoke. This runs against everything we are. Children in the streets. Corrupt rulers ignoring their people suffering rampant crime. Do you not see the great evil that afflicts these kingdoms? Yeah, I suppose it's all kind of crappy.
2: And how much have you seen, exactly?
3: Enough to know Ordu's words ring true. Imagine this city with the B'nai Fandwa. The peace these people would know. The justice done. We can share what we have in Yodoru with the world. It may very well be our purpose, as Ordu suggests. The wise Aru watches the whole of our world Ahuna, not just Yodoru, Balanced on the fulcrum of his talon, waiting for the day it plummets into the chaos of the underworld Morodai. The Banai Fandwa keeps the balance in Yodoru, but Ordu is right. That is not enough. The whole of the world must be balanced to prevent its end.
1: Odd how you explained a lot of what you were saying while you were saying it. I'm sure she knows what all those things are.
2: I will not take the suggestion of that treacherous murderer.
3: There's still no proof that he's done anything of the sort. Your word against his, and it's your words that split our order apart. It's your words and insistence that causes those still loyal to hunt you and other dissenters down.
1: She placed her tea on the counter, savoring its aroma.
2: If you're going to try to kill me, I suggest you get it over with. Please
3: don't do that here. Ah, and imagine we used to be friends. I would rather you join us. Ordu welcomes our lost warriors back.
2: It is not I who is lost, Kailen.
3: He shook his head in frustration. Fine. Ordu comes for you. Personally. I've bought you a few days to think about this discussion. That's all the time you'll need to witness the evil here yourself. Then we'll find you, and you can make your final decision. Could you uh, buy some tea before you invade? That'd be nice. Amadi nodded at Kailen and made to leave. By the way... I wasn't the only pair of eyes stalking you and your new friends. You want to learn how depraved the kingdoms are? Start by seeking out your comrades. And watch your back. If they're from here, who's to say they're any better than the rest of these scum? Amati's grip on her hilt tightened as she sped down the street, her eyes
1: scanning for a giant wearing a wolf head cloak. Hours later, Deep in Esthloring, Gafgarn, Sully, and Dorn were making their way back to the Wasted Cadaver. They explored as deep as the city's central square, large stone courtyard surrounded by twisting columns, fashioned like tentacles. In its center stood a tall, frightening nightmare, a creature reaching upward with six clawed arms and a muscular torso, not unlike a man's. Its lower half was a long, bulbous affair coiling about itself, teeming with hundreds of vine-like tentacles. Its head, little more than a lump between its shoulders, bore a hive of empty mouth-like fissures. On its pedestal read, Nashul. Beyond it lay a church, much like the one in Hosto, albeit several times larger. Gafgarn's revulsion ensured they hadn't stayed long, making their way back, unsure how they would find any sign of the jester in a city so large. Gafgarn watched businesses clothes in the pink and orange hues of the setting sun. He noticed pairs of armed, shifty-eyed people moving from store to store, collecting sums of coin into small lockboxes they carried like satchels at their waist. The hint of fear was evident on each merchant's face as the pairs came around. Any guards walking the street seemed not to notice, or coyly pretending there was something strikingly more interesting in another direction. Before Gafgarn could comment, he caught the sight of something that made him completely forget about the shady dealings around him. A jester hat of red, black, and silver bounced down the street, He only just saw it turn a corner. It's wearer in a high-collared jacket that hit his face. Gafgarn shot down the street, surprising his companions who hurried to catch up.
3: What's the deal, Gaf?
0: Quiet!
1: Gafgarn commanded as he neared the corner of a building. I think I just saw AJ. He poked his head around the corner and saw that hat trotting down the street. Gafgarn made to follow.
4: Shouldn't we get the others? The cadaver's not too far off from here.
1: No. I don't want to lose him. We take him now. They followed him through the streets, then a network of alleys, careful to keep out of sight. The jester never looked behind him, and now relaxedly walked into a narrow pathway between two large buildings. Gafgarn, Sully, and Doran gingerly but quickly followed. The narrow path led to a small, dusty courtyard, surrounded by fences and tall buildings. The other narrow alleys leading out from its corners. At the opposite end from Gafgarn stood a shabby shed that looked like it could barely hold the single occupant sitting on its roof, his legs dangling over its edge. He hung his head low, hiding his face behind that jester hat. Between them, scattered about the dingy yard of dead grass and dirt, were chairs, benches, ottomans, beds, stools, and other furniture in various stages of disrepair.
4: This be a trap?
1: Of course it is.
4: Then shouldn't we turn around and leave? No. No.
1: They're already behind
4: us. (laughs) That's not exactly a problem for you, though.
5: Neither is what's ahead of
1: us. Gafgarn hefted his hammer in one hand and pointed a meaty finger at the figure sitting before him. I want my gauntlets! The Chester raised his head to reveal typical fair skin and blue eyes. He smiled at them as he nonchalantly swung his feet.
4: Boss, I don't like the look of this.
1: Be
5: ready. That might not be A.J., But whoever these punks are, they know we're after him. So
1: they know where he is, which means I've got some skulls to crack.
0: Who'd want to protect
5: that crazy bastard?
1: At that, the imposter A.J. shrugged, and a tall woman entered the courtyard to stand next to the shed. The half of her head, that wasn't shaven, bore long, silky black hair. She wore an elegant pink jacket lined with fur that descended to her leather boots laced up to her knees. She raised a long, elegant pipe to her rosy lips, and placed the other hand on her hip, her stance revealing the tiny leather shorts and corset burdened by a heavy bust underneath her jacket. The handle of a coiled whip at her waist might go unnoticed in comparison to her thick, corded musculature. Tattoos of blue and purple hearts decorated her neck and collarbone at the same side as her shaven scalp. She smiled, revealing pearly teeth. That hat! I want the man it belongs to!
5: I'm guessing you know him?
6: Wow. You aren't too polite, are you?
1: You brought me here to be polite? No. Taking another drag from her pipe.
6: I brought you here to die. Hmm.
1: And why's that?
6: You killed my ex-husband.
1: Smidgen, I'm guessing.
5: I'm surprised you care so much about him, if he was an ex.
6: I don't. But I was supposed to kill him.
5: And you are?
6: You can call me Madam.
5: Well, Madam, I suggest if you want someone dead, you pick up the pace next time. Mm.
6: Thanks for the advice.
1: The courtyard flooded with armed men and women from each entryway. Some vaulted over the fences, daggers and blades in hand. They were all tough-looking, many with studded leather armor and peculiar small metal spikes protruding from shoulder pads and bracelets. Without hesitation, they threw themselves at the trio. A dagger flew at Gafgar, but the giant was already moving, ducking beneath it and sweeping a duo aside with his hammer. He swung his hammer down in an arc to squish another attacker into the dirt, then propped himself up with the weapon to block a sword strike with one foot and cave in a face with another. Back on his feet, he blocked and dodged several attacks, pedaling backward until he lost his footing and his rump fell into a seat of a heavy-looking chair.
5: Sully, back to back!
1: Sully and Doran again found themselves back to back, fending off a handful of killers.
0: Sully, over here!
1: Most of the gang around them focused their efforts towards Gafgarn. Those harassing Sully and Doran, applying enough pressure to keep them busy. They just keep coming! On the defense, they found they were unable to move until a large chair skidded along the ground, knocking two belligerents to the floor. Sully! Sully and Doran cut through the opening and made it to Gafgarn, who was sitting on the ground, hoisting his hammer into a chin. Gafgarn hoisted himself up into a flying kick to his gut, which sent him bowling into a bench. As he tripped backwards over it, he was launched sliding on the ground just as a hatchet chopped down into the bench. As he slid, he awkwardly swung his hammer, taking out ankles and shins. Then he used the momentum to roll over his head onto his feet and rose swinging. Sully and Doran kept enemies at bay in Gafgarn's destructive wake.
0: over here!
1: Towering over the heads of the gang around him, Gafgarn could already see the crowded courtyard growing more sparse. The attackers became more hesitant and careful in approaching the behemoth. Still, he found himself surrounded. Behind him, a woman swung a chair, which shot out of her hands into another attacker, looking to cleave Gafgarn's arm from his shoulder. Gafgarn turned and kicked out, knocking the woman into several behind her. He used the opening to charge through them then leapt up onto a filthy couch as the gang pressed behind. It threw him up into the air as a throwing axe grazed the bottom of his boots, throwing sparks. Flying over where he had just come, he used his hammer to cull the group below, knocking them into a pile. He landed on his feet by Sully and Doran, who were looking dumbfounded and feeling useless. As Gafgarn raised his hammer above the groaning pile of assailants, the crack of a whip shuddered through the courtyard. What gives? The mighty hammer was stuck over Gafgarn's head. Madame's whip wrapped around its head like a dead leathery vine. <laughs> Her pink jacket in the hands of the jester had an imposter. She stood pulling the whip with both hands, smiling with naked arms bulging. <laughs> Sully and Doran took up positions behind him, their blades flashing in the fading light as they began trading blows once more. A fresh assault began, causing Sully and Doran to struggle. Some attackers made their way around the defense flanking Gafgarn from the side. You
5: two, hold your ground! He was quick
1: to react, Look at this, charging to the left while tugging on his hammer, slamming into a surprised gangster with his shoulder.
5: Oh.
1: Madame began sliding towards Gafgarn, losing her footing, <sighs> so she wrapped more of the whip around her forearms and pulled. <sighs> Using her renewed effort as momentum, Gafgarn charged to his right, flinging himself into the air. Down! Sully and Doran hit the floor just as Gafgarn flashed over them. He swung feet-first into a small crowd, his boots crushing a rib cage and sending the group sprawling. Strike! Now on his belly, Madame was dragging him towards her until he got his legs ahead of him and began pulling back. Brr. They found themselves in Ooh. another stalemate. Sully, Sully and Doran struggled to keep the remaining gang members from cutting up Gafgarn from behind. Sully received a cut to her waist and returned the wound in kind. Doran parried and hopped between two attackers, barely keeping up. Just as they were losing control, screams from the rear of the group erupted. A thin, long blade was flashing through the courtyard, wielded by none other than Amadi. She struck like a storm. Each flick of her sword, a lightning strike, causing the assault to disperse enough that she could reach Sully and Doran. the The three stood with blades ready, awaiting the next attack. Suddenly, the whip snapped. Madame fell into the fence behind her, and Gafgarn spun, swinging his hammer into the unlucky face of an assailant with an upraised sword. Where the whip broke, the shaft of an arrow stuck up from the ground. Madame looked to the roof of a building to see a shadowy figure in a cowl with a bow in hand, quickly knocking another arrow.
6: Vanji, he's mine. Not if I kill him first,
1: you witch. The figure let another arrow fly towards Gafgarn. He grabbed an attacker by the throat and used her body to catch the lethal missile. Throwing the body aside, he motioned for Sully, and Norn, and Amadi to take cover behind a fence with him. Follow Gaffy! The gang in the courtyard froze, unsure whether to take the wolf-cloaked giant or move to Madame's aid.
6: You little whore, I told you if I ever saw you in my district, I'd rip your limb from limb. <laughs> Jesus, you still all torn up about the whole thing Miss smidgen? Well, just let it go. And let me gut this big guy already. You and your crew seem to be having a hard time with it.
1: An arrow plunked into the fence by Gafgarn. <laughs> Sully took the opportunity to bring up an important point.
4: Boss, we should go while they're distracted.
1: No, not until we learn where AJ is.
4: This is getting complicated. We need to go now
6: while this gang is distracted. You call me by my professional name, you slut. I'll call you whatever I want, hag. Now let me have my revenge and you can go back to running your gang or whatever.
1: Ursula hurled two throwing knives towards Vanji, who somersaulted to avoid them.
6: I'm getting revenge, Vanji. Don't you have someone to assassinate? Hmm? A contract or something for your duke? Stick to your career criminality and butt out of my business. How about you stick to your shenanigans and let me have my fun? Last time you had anything of mine, it was my husband's skank. I didn't let you have him then, and I won't let you have this one now, so get lost or get down here so I can tear you apart.
1: The clamour of armoured boots echoed from several of the alleys.
6: Where's the guard? Everyone out! I'm going to have that captain's head. We paid him off this week.
1: Men in steel armour burst into the courtyard, brandishing swords and shackles. Some of the surviving gang were quickly apprehended, though most of the able-bodied type were quick to escape. Ursula and the Jester had disappeared, as well as the woman on the roof. Gafgarn, Sully, Doran, and Amadi were left to be surrounded. Drop your weapons or be killed. Gafgarn gripped his hammer tightly, thinking he could break through the line and give chase after Ursula. Gafgarn looked to Amadi, who sheathed her blade.
2: I will not harm those charged to protect the innocent.
1: Sully placed a hand on Gafgarn's arm and shook her head. He knew full well he couldn't afford to start a war with the city itself. He dropped his mallet, and the guards closed in with their shackles.
5: You're popular with the ladies, eh, Gaf?
1: Shut up! The guards hustled their prisoners into a nearby station meant for temporary holding, into dark jail cells of iron bars.
4: (laughs) Does this mean we're engaged? There were
1: no windows. The only light, a flickering, dim torch on the wall just down the hall. Gafgarn, Sully, Doran, and Amadi were brought to a cell together. A bench lined the rear wall of stone, and a bucket crusted with the detritus of the previous tenant lay on its side in a corner. The guards violently shoved Doran and Sully in.
5: Oi! I thought they'd take me out to dinner first!
1: Then, ever more cautiously, coaxed Gafgarn in at the end of the impolite points of their blades and spears. He begrudgingly obeyed the scars on his face, practically baring their own teeth at the sentinels. The heavy gate slammed and locked behind him. The guards left. The incredible dust of the space did nothing for Gafgarn's mood. Sully stood looking grim while Doran poked a foot at the filthy, acrid bucket.
4: What are we going to do now, boss?
1: We aren't getting out of here. Not much I can do about stone and iron.
5: Gaff, why not use the bench here to launch you at the gate? If I had my hammer, maybe. No good busting that down if my body is broken
1: afterward.
4: What if you hit the door with your boots? They're pretty tough, they might do something, if you don't break your legs. Fine,
1: better than waiting for the headsman. Through a series of pitiful attempts, the three found that they would not, in fact, be busting any iron gate down. First, Gafgarn tried launching himself from the bench by sitting on it. He slipped off in different directions, or flipped off of it onto the floor. Then he tried running, using what little space they had to pick up speed and jumping on it. This resulted in launching him into the wall or the ceiling at odd angles. (coughs) Finally, Dorn and Sully tried using their strength and weight to push Gafgarn down onto the bench before releasing him. (coughs) (coughs) After bowling into his subordinates a few times, he finally flew directly at the locked bars. He brought his feet up in front of him, just in time to kick out at the metal. Though they thundered and shook as he crumpled onto the floor, the only difference he made was in shaking off flakes of rust. Gafgarn rose, dusting himself off and stretching his now sore limbs. Amadi looked on with an incredulous expression. Sorry,
4: boss, it was worth a try. I guess we are just waiting for the headsman.
1: An unearing chortle slithered across the hall. <laughs> a familiar voice followed. <laughs> You'll do the headsman's job, you keep at it like that. Gafgarn peered into the opposite jail cell, where in the weak light, he could barely make out a figure sitting cross-legged on the floor. As it leaned forward, still chuckling, small shining bells came into view, dangling at the end of red, black, and silver-striped tendrils extending from a patchy hat. Beneath that hat, red eyes, a pale face, and a viciously delighted grin greeted Gafgarn like a hungry spectra. Nice to see you again, Wolfbutt." Gafgarn wrapped a massive fist around a bar, gripping it tightly. He imagined it was A.J.'s neck.
5: Oi, Gaf, it's the jester!
1: A.J. placed his hands on his cheeks and feigned surprise.
5: Oh, shucks! Your dog sniffed me out! Count yourself lucky you're in a cage! How'd you get locked up? It's sweet you're concerned, but I'm here by choice. (laughs) How could I miss on such a great opportunity for us to get to know each other? Oi, your nuts can get to know my foot! I like your spunk, dog. I wonder if it'll last if you are under the edge of a knife. We'll find out one day. I'm sure. For now, I'm talking to the
1: wolf, not you.
5: So pipe down.
1: The dim torchlight cast wavering shadows on AJ's face as he grinned at Gafgarn. We've a relationship to catch up on.
5: Who
2: is this fool? We're in a prison, and he talks about relationships.
5: You choose a great time to come into town, One-Arm. Hope you're ready for a good show. We... What do you mean, we? Right, right, us. We've got a great thing going now. We need to nurture it. So, what's this thing we've got? A competitive partnership, a connection. I'm concerned, though. Those bars can't be good for your health. Can't be good for yours, either. I won't be behind them for long. You've walked into a pit of snakes, Gaffy. This city's going to eat you alive if you aren't careful. (laughs) Everyone thinks they're on top. None of them realize they're in the same hole, slithering over one another. Regardless of who wins, they're still stuck and still snakes. And you're not? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm here to bury that pit. I'm going to bring it down on top of them. But it'd be a shame if you got caught in it all. I just want to make sure you're ready for the collapse. You took the opportunity away from me at Smidgen's camp. But I think Estherling is going to be so
1: much more fun. What were you going to do? Whatever I wanted, dog. AJ viewed Sully with amusement, then returned to the giant. Did you like our little game back in Hosto? That wasn't a game, clown. It was murder and
5: chaos and annoying. (laughs) Oh, come now, Gaffy. Don't act like you cared about any of those people. We have a moment to talk. Let's at least be honest with each other. You've got to have one funny bone in that gargantuan heap of yours, right? Did you get the joke? I get you figured out I'm cursed. So you killed people to make that point. Fun, right? Especially the fat man. That one got way too comfortable with his position. Am I right? The walls, the quiet town, surrounded by loyal lowlifes lots of good that did in the end. At least I know you won't get so comfortable anytime
1: soon. (laughs) Enough! The gauntlets! Where are they? A.J. sighed as he rose to his feet and approached the bars. Now I'm disappointed. You're rushing
5: things. I'm trying to make a connection here, and you're all business. We're going to be part of each other's lives for some time now. You really don't want to get to know me better? I know all I need to know about you. You've got something I need. (laughs) And you have no idea why you need them. And you know? Well, more than you. I know those shiny shoes of yours are something the kingdoms haven't had a whiff of in centuries. Maybe millennia. Now that's interesting. Fascinating. Your mustachioed friend might say... Something like this comes along, something that changes all the rules. Now that's something I've just got to be a part of. What are they, then? I said we should be honest. Doesn't mean I'm going to bear all. Gotta tease you a bit. Besides, I haven't quite figured it out yet. But I know you need the gauntlets. And before you ask, they're with the girl. Say, what did the professor tell you about little sis? That you kidnapped her. I'll help him save her. He helps you get back to sitting on chairs. Really? That's it? Well, little Blondie's got so much more going on than all that. Maybe you should ask the good doctor. After all, Withers a fast friend, right? Someone who considers you an ally rather than a research subject. Or are you all just a means to an end for each other? I don't care. As long as they help me wring your neck. Suit yourself, wolf butt. It amounts to the same thing for me. We're going to have a ton of fun. (laughs) Now that we've gotten started, we're going to burn down this city together. I'm not helping you do anything. I'm not asking, Gaffy. Fire's already started, and this city's kindling. Don't worry, though. You'll get your gauntlets after you've played along. And that's just the beginning. You and I are going to play the greatest game in the history of the kingdoms, if I'm right. "'Maybe
1: the greatest the world's ever known.'" Light footsteps echoed from the hall. Suddenly, a cloaked figure emerged around the corner and shot for AJ's cell. In a moment, it unlocked the door, then moved down the line, opening the others that contained any of Ursula's gangsters. They all crept back into the dark hall, some giving AJ funny looks as he watched. "'Well, that's my cue,' he said as he smugly walked out of his cell. A bounce in his step.
5: "'Great chat!' We'll have another one real soon.
1: Just stay alive for me until then, okay, wolf butt? Then he disappeared down the hall, leaving Gafgarn and his friends with the feigning remnants of a deep-throated, vicious cackle.
0: Your narrator? Gafgarn. Doran, the albino jester, and the old man at the tea shop were played by Mike Bethel. Sully is played by Dr. Michelle Booz. Kai Len was played by Zachary James Macias. Madame Ursula was played by Sarah Golding. Vanji, the assassin in Smidgen's Mistress, was played by Cindy Stevens. The Captain of the Guard and various other voices were played by J. Dean Garcia. Gafgarn the Eternally Unfurnished is written by Jeremiah Sundance French. Well, I hope you enjoyed this ride on the Chronosphere. Be safe out there and keep your cosmos clean.